This conference, will now, this conference will now be recorded. There we go. Um, okay, we'll officially start. And um, what a time we live in, isn't it? Uh, this, this today's little technical snafu kind of sums it up, doesn't it? If if if, if you're not tied in, then you're you're just kind of free floating out there, and that's I think a feeling that most people have about like what's what the heck is going on what's going on in the economy will we have a, a fair election will there be an election like is america going to go through a crisis in the uh, a transition of power for the first time um you know what what are the impacts of sort of the economic slowdown, shutdown, what's the prospect going forward? Uh, we have some interesting comments, um, which I, I, uh, 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 we talked with one of our clients who's a uh, very bright man who was a professor at, at, in Boulder, and he's very involved in studying the research literature, uh, the epidemiology of of what we're facing and he's always impatient with me because I ask, well, how long is this going to last and what do we need to do? And, uh, because that's sort of the practical implications in the economy of what, uh, of what we have to deal with. Um, I'm wondering if someone could come in here in my office and help me with one other technical thing so that, uh, uh, Kyle went on strike, technical strike. We'll see whether he can be brought back in, brought back in with a, an extra payment or something. Just uh, can you move this over so that I can like look at the camera and and the people at the same time so they don't. Good. Um, there we go. Perfect. What a guy. Everybody needs a young man. I, I agree. Remember that zero Mustel play? What was it? Uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. The the famous song that's so politically incorrect now. What was it called, Linda? So I don't have to be the one to say it. Everybody ought. Everybody ought to have a maid. A maid, all right. That's right. That. Very famous song. Yeah, I never sang it, so I never learned the name. Okay. Um, it's off, Rob, there is some kind of clicking, like somebody texting or typing. Yes, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone's line. And so if, if you need to ask a question, please try to utilize the chat function, which is available on the right-hand side. And, uh, and then we can use that if you have a question or if you have your webcam on and you raise your hand, I will try to be paying attention and get you get you a chance to jump in. So. Okay, great. Uh, silence. All right, our masters have joined us visually. Thank you. Um, so I don't know if Jeff Sand is on the on the line or not. I, uh, our, our non-resident expert epidemia scientist professor sent us something which I can't find at the moment. So um, uh, I think let's 
jump in and talk about um, the, what we know and what we don't know about COVID and its impact on the uh, The political part uh, and the political part, uh, the science part, um, I can I can't really much about the economic effects. Um, I, I think I can speak a little bit about what we know is that the economy had a huge contraction, 31.7% in the second quarter, the biggest contraction on record. Of course, it recovered in the third quarter about 30%, which mathematically doesn't take us back to where we were, um, but uh, but but partially there. Uh, unemployment stands at about between eight and nine percent. Uh, before COVID, it was hovering around four percent, and we'll hear that that sort of doubling of the negative factors uh, um, pretty consistently. Very very interesting. Uh, I'm a big believer in generalizing numbers and estimating numbers so that we can remember. Um, uh, what it means uh, and, and the impact of it. So, um, yeah, the um, so I'd say we're we're back in terms of un, uh, uh, employment numbers about halfway from where we started. The stock market, of course, uh, the technology market is back all the way. Uh, the Dow, not quite so much, and interest rates are pretty close to zero, between zero and a quarter of a percent, which has uh, some long-term implications for for all of us that do investing, for people who are retired in particular, um, in terms of what, what uh, bond portfolios might do going forward and what can be done to earn income. So... Um, Kyle, do you have any any more sort of general numbers about manufacturing, uh, factory utilization, anything that you want to add to the sort of general economic overview? Yes, I, I figured just since you brought up unemployment, the unemployment rate sits at 8.4%. And so prior to the pandemic, we were at basically 3.5% unemployment and we ticked up as high as close to 15% unemployment kind of at the at the peak i guess that would be april and then since then we've really kind of recovered quite a bit uh, we had questions about whether or not we would ever kind of or how long it would take to get back to kind of that full employment number of the 3.5% we think you know there's probably a large percent of like permanent job loss that that's occurring in the market. Uh, other sort of big numbers, there's the, the U.S. budget. So the fiscal year for the U.S. government set to end on September 30th. So at the end of this month, the fiscal year ends. And uh, the budget deficit for the U.S. is expected to be at $3 trillion, which will be the, the largest U.S. deficit ever. Uh, let's see what else. What else is really – did I find really interesting uh, – let me talk about that deficit yeah. number briefly. The uh, so that that number is a little is a little bit. It's 105 percent of the gross domestic product, gross domestic GDP. You probably hear that term. Um, 
is the total output of the nation during the year. So if you took all the production of goods and services during the year, we have uh, a deficit uh, that exceeds what we produce on an annual basis. And, and that's the first time that we've gone over that, that number, as Kyle said. It's an increase of about 25% over where we were in uh, 2019. You know, something else that's really interesting there is that although we have these policies that are really promoting kind of bringing things back to be made in the United States, kind of bringing up uh, domestic production, we're seeing actually a widening of the gap. So we're importing more and then exporting less. So some of our, I think some of our protectionist policies are impacting kind of the trade deficit where we're actually, we're having to import more uh, through trying to make things in the U.S. than we previously had. And so that's actually widening out right now. When we compare the real economy to the financial markets, uh, uh, as I mentioned, the, the technology market and the stock markets have recovered most of their downturn. Financial assets, that same goods and services number that we just talked about relative to the debt, about $3 trillion, uh, there are approximately five times the size of our economy in financial assets. So the size of the stock and bond markets uh, 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 are, are a factor of five over the annual output. That's twice what it was uh, before Ronald Reagan got elected and we kind of entered the era where financial assets became basically double the size that the industry has doubled and, and it's one measure of, uh, it's one indication of the wealth gap in the country that that wealthy people have gotten wealthier through financial assets which have doubled uh their 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 ratio to the rest of the economy if that makes any sense so when we think well what's the impact of the markets rebounding when the general economy has not it's that um that the that holders of financial assets are twice as well off relative to the rest of the population as they were sort of before the tax code changed and uh and the and the regulatory environment and you know of course the whole social system has changed since since the 80s um but it's it's just one easy handle is that uh uh the top the top earners now own 50% of all assets as opposed to uh, like 25% of the assets. So that's, that's one impact, and we'll be talking about that when we talk about what do zero interest rates mean to, uh, to investors. What does it mean to the society is a, another question that I, I, I think is interesting, important, especially with, you know, the kind of polarization that we see in the country today um, uh, with the election and, and uh, sort of the lack of dialogue, the lack of, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I really believe that there's a lack of dialogue or cooperation, but at least in the public realm, at least what we see, um, 
uh, portrayed. So, um, so, so the economy is back about halfway. The markets are back, at least the stock market. Uh, bond investors have done well. Where do we go from here is always our question. What do we do with cash? Um, we have always taken a very conservative view of bond investing where we're, we're not traders and we're essentially owning short-term portfolios where a bonds turn back into cash on a regular basis so that we can adjust. Um, no one anticipated essentially interest rates between zero and one percent. Uh, and so it presents a particular challenge uh, to us in terms of uh, people that want uh, a, a, a secure source of income for their retirement. And, uh, and Gail and, and Kyle and I and the rest of the, the team here have been focusing on that quite quite a bit. So we'll talk more about that. Um, it's uh, so good to see your faces, those of you who are willing to turn your camera on. Thank you, um, Steve and Gary. Thanks for joining us. Robert and Katie, I'm trying to encourage people to turn their cameras on, even if you haven't had a facelift, as, as my uh, associate in North Carolina said that for her reason not participating. Uh, we won't name Juliana, but that's who it was. So um, I think uh, the we, we have a question to answer early on that someone sent in. Thank you for sending that question about gold and currency and paper currency. Uh, it seemed to generate a lot of uh, uh, response, the, the, that portion of the, um, of the written commentary, which uh, we try and make uh, uh, available to everyone uh, who, who, you know, who's on the call and who, who doesn't participate in the call. So um, why don't I stop and see, I, Kyle, are there any sort of questions so far from any of the uh, the listeners or, or viewers, or should we move on to talk about, about gold and currency? And then I want to talk a lot about what zero interest rates mean for investors um, uh, and what it means for the country, because uh, obviously the economy um, impacts the, what the country can do and what it can't do. So any any questions from anyone so far? No, well, we do have a, a question. I think we're going to talk about the currency and gold, and then we have a question which I think is related to 0% interest rates, which is a question about owning dividend stocks. So I think we should all, all have it marked down, but we should bundle that in with the, the 0% discussion. Okay, um, good. Maybe, Rob, maybe you can also address what it means to us to have a GDP, uh, GDP less than what we're Spending. Right, definitely. Very oh. important question. Let's start with that since we covered that uh, slightly. There have been very few countries that have clawed their way back to solvency once their deficit exceeds their GDP. That's the short answer. Uh, what does solvency mean? It, it means uh, the ability to actually repay its debts. And, um, 
the the group of countries that that live in this area are growing. Uh, countries like Italy, Cyprus, um, no one really knows about China, uh, France. Um, it's it's you know obviously not a, a good thing. It doesn't mean that there's a crisis in you know the U.S. remains the safe haven for assets around the world. The dollar remains extremely strong. Um, we we remain the leader of the world in in most respects, and so th- there's no direct consequence for having debt that exceeds the GDP. Um, but if history is any guide, it's it's extremely sobering and worth considering, and related to the gold and cash question from from one perspective of what does it mean that the government never earn enough to pack its debts if all the holders of government debt their money back it would be impossible of course but many of the holders of government debt are the government government agencies uh people behold government uh insurance companies people that have no risk and would be greatly um negatively impacted by a uh, 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 on the on the US government bank. It's the way we have no experience right? I mean we have experience with a run on other countries with with runs on questions, but we have no data uh modern data on on uh any large real nation that and, and, and it really is a global phenomenon because Japan, Russia, China, Western Europe, all the nations that have sort of pulled out the stops, especially with the COVID spending, um, are essentially in, in a similar, sim, similar uh, shape. So uh, it's kind of like we're in an international situation now, Steve, which is very different than uh, an individual country where people could take their money and say, oh, I think I'll just go put my money in Japan because it's safe there. That really isn't an option. So so there are very few options for uh, – it's, it's, it's kind of like there's a dance going on and no one can leave the room. Everyone's, you know, sort of having a good time, at least in the financial field. And uh, – who knows how that ends? It's, so that, that's what that's what it means when the uh, debt is uh, over 100% of GDP. Um, Could this be temporary? That people, if our nation goes back to work and the taxes start coming in again, uh, we can. Uh, I mean, our deficit is, is huge, but uh, taxes certainly contribute to lowering uh, that number. It's definitely not a foregone conclusion that the government, and I wouldn't use the word default, it's just that they repackage the debt in a way that that continues to kind of suck away the future wealth of the nation. Of course, you know, that's, is who, who, who really gets hurt by the spending? Um, so long as no one sort of gets nervous, and there's confidence no one really gets hurt um, except 
there's no question that that um that future generations don't have the same options they don't have the same freedom they don't have the same wealth generating possibilities all of the things that not all of the things but some of the things that made the post world war 2 period so uh um attractive made the american way of doing things so attractive are are diminished and and so that's uh that, that those are intangibles but but definitely uh likely uh impacted um by yes rick hear me yes now we can thank you i had a question about the uh, unemployment rate saying that at the high i guess that was april march something like that it was at around 15 percent we're now down to eight and a half percent so that it's basically in half but the the jobs that have come back, I think, I believe, are very different jobs than the jobs that we had before they were lost. So the amount of uh, income that these people that now have jobs are earning, uh, I, I would assume are considerably less. Obviously, they're paying less taxes on it and getting less revenue from it. Is this something that you see changing as we pull out of this thing, or with the jobs increase, we have a zero percent uh, borrowing rate. I mean, you would think that this would spur things along, but it doesn't seem to be doing that at all. Well, I, I, I think that's correct. No one is opening up their business or hiring people because interest rates, at least nominally for the big borrowers, are you know between zero and one percent. The 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 free money, which is let's just call zero percent free money, is only available to essentially you know the institutional players. If you go to a commercial bank, if a business goes to a bank, a business is going to pay four percent on uh, to a bank. But the banks are not really lending to businesses now. They're doing some uh, real estate lending but very little commercial lending at, at the time being. So in terms of the jobs, you're right. The the jobs that have gone away and haven't come back are very obvious. They're retail jobs, service industry jobs, hospitality industry jobs. And until people start traveling and not being, you know, told that there's no there's no congregations bigger than X number of people, I'm not a I'm not a sports watcher, but you know the the, the that the, the whole economy that relies on the social scene has gone away and and hasn't come back yet. Uh, um, there are there are jo- there are some businesses that have reopened with reduced staffs because the businesses are reduced in terms of their volume. Uh, a, a hotel. Hotel, some hotels, some restaurants, and, and you all know that from personal experience of what you see in, in your environment. Will they come back to full um, occupancy? I think they will. Uh, the time frame, uh, we, we defer back to our, our medical and, and prog- prog- uh, prognosis people, you know, maybe uh, a year, maybe two years. Um, and, and, uh, 
it was interesting, very interesting. I, I, I was looking at a list of CEOs of big companies and their comments on work at home. And, and are they satisfied with the work at home? Is, is that going to continue in the future? Are they satisfied with the results? This was, these were all, you know, big companies. And, uh, I don't know if anyone else saw that. Kyle, did you see that? Uh, they were quotes from the CEOs. Very, you know, like this week quotes, and I would say that 85% of them had a thumbs down for the work at home solution. The 15%, and you know, I'm, I, I, sometimes I am purposely politically incorrect just to like make sure people are awake and things like that. I don't, I don't really, like mean what I say if I say things that are politically incorrect uh, and it's a sign of the times that I have to like apologize before I say something that it's going to be politically incorrect. So so forewarned is forearmed. Um, the people who, most of the people who said that they were okay with the work at home were women CEOs. They felt either that they were more positive because they felt like they needed to be positive or they're just better managers of people who are not who are not in the office and less control freaks like than the men. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I I thought that was very interesting. Um I am I am uh uh I can't say anything because my staff's on the call and, and I'll be severely criticized whatever I say. So I'm I'm kind of in a no win situation about about the work at home issue. Some people do well uh, uh, all the time. Some people do well some of the time. I think, I think, I think the being in, in person, there's no question to me that, that there are major intangible benefits from people working and the informal, uh, uh, things that happen. That's just, that's just, it, that's just how, how I feel about it. Not that anyone really cares, but that, so, so it relates to the employment numbers, however, in that the great mass of of jobs, and, and I mean jobs are being lost still. So I I, I think uh, Rick that the unemployment numbers, you know, are not going back down to four percent unemployment uh, because because their their retail shops and restaurants they're gone and hotels and and maybe that's okay because. Maybe we had too many darn restaurants, right? Every time, every time we turn around, someone's doing a commercial development and looking for a national chain to open up another whatever. Um, and so I think, I think there's some positives about the pullback and the, the sort of retrenchment in some of the industries. The airline industry, everyone reads about. I mean, it's, it's on a multi-billion dollar lifeline with the government. And I, I don't know if any of you, you all are flying at all. I fly some still. And it, it's, it's, it's different. It's doable. And I don't, I don't feel really at risk from doing it, but, um, it's definitely a, a, a diminished industry. Now, how permanent is it? Will people's Lifestyles change. Will work patterns change? Maybe so. I, I think the fear of this, I, you know, what I'm gonna, I, because I'm not a lawyer, I get to talk about about 
legal things, and because I'm not a scientist, I get to talk about science with a kind of a flippant attitude, and I can make generalizations that people who are much more knowledgeable and serious about it uh, can't can't do that. Uh, now I've forgotten what I was going to say about it, uh, but the um, the the return to um, to work whatever the time frame is for it, I, I, it, it will be different. Um, but I think it will happen. I think we will, oh, I, I was gonna talk about uh, air circulation in real estate. So the kind, like restaurants, like if you're gonna go out to a restaurant now, you'd wanna be outdoors, at least I do. I wanna be outdoors. I don't wanna sit inside. I'm not afraid necessarily of, of things, but hey, I was told the other day that my chances, Robert, told me that uh, a different Robert, not, I don't talk to myself as Robert, I'm not that sort of self-absorbed, um, told me that you're 18 times less likely to be infected if you're outside. That's good enough for me. I'm outside. Hey, I love to be outside. I love to meet, have business meetings outside. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we do some meetings outside here, but uh, when I travel, I only meet with people outside and I only sit outside at restaurants. So uh, the, the kind of real estate uh, that that is uh, like air circulation and fresh air, the, the days where you have small offices with poor air circulation, those places are like toast. They're just not, people's fear is gonna, is gonna continue, right? That, that element of caution, fear, and that will change the, the workplace um, and, uh, um, uh, so uh, the the economy will have difficulty reaching the employment levels that it did before, but I think it will go back to a, a I think we can recover from this and we will. And uh, um, but a lot of people don't feel that way. Uh, you know, the the demographics of real estate have changed dramatically. If you're in Santa Fe, the the market is stronger than it's ever been. In small towns, if you're in San Francisco, where previously no one, you know, could, uh, or Manhattan, you just, you know, you can't, it's very difficult real estate environment. And that's a total reversal from, from where it was. Our, our, our friend Linda might even be able to buy an apartment soon if prices go down enough in New York. It would be awesome. So if you're, if you have stick to itness, right? If you're, if you're settled, then you know there might be some buying opportunities from that. But I digress. I apologize. Um, well, don't we know though that the solution to this thing is the vaccine? And when we are, as a nation, vaccinated, then we're able to go back to work in hospitality and travel, and a lot of these problems go away. And Things right, um, and and uh, the progress and the science, of course, is is much more highly developed than it was ten years ago or twenty years ago. Or uh, so I think I think you're right, Steve. There 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 are a lot of companies working on vaccines. There's there are resources available to deploy vaccines. It's not to say that the vaccines will be safe, effective right away, um, or that everyone who 
who will take them. But I think uh, from what what I've I've been uh, told that we don't have to have everyone take them for it to be effective. And and the there has been a lot learned. And so in a year or 18 months, you know, if if let's just use 18 months without without like trying to justify it because I, I I'm sure people from both ends can 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 justifiably criticize that number. But let's let's say that we're 18 months out that from having a general having this kind of uh, COVID-19 fear being the guiding factor in the economy. That's a long time. We're six months into it. That would mean that we're 25% done through the time period. That's, that's a very, very serious number. Um, and, uh, like the Fed was saying last time that they expect zero interest rates, like until 2022 or 2023. Now there's a PR aspect to what they're saying, which is, they basically want people to stop worrying about the cost of money so that you go ahead and and spend your money however uh, 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 you plan to do it. Un- unfortunately, a lot of the the money that's available to people isn't isn't really spent on um, on productive like like tooling up as Kyle was saying on bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. There's a lot of money being spent on real estate. And development in the parts of the country where people are moving to to get away from the what is perceived to be dangerous urban areas, um, and obviously there's a huge social disparity between who who gets to leave and who doesn't, and uh, that 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 goes I, I won't say it goes without saying, but it's uh, it's a very um, you know serious. Uh, dis, uh, Disproportionate impact on on you know people of color, uh, poor people, mostly poor people, uh, 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 who have to live, you know, without access to to, to certain things. So that's that that um, let's let's go unless there are other questions to the the question about gold and currency, Kyle, and then and then we'll talk about what zero percent interest rates mean, and then we'll talk a little bit without getting into politics about the electoral uh, process and what is likely to happen with the markets as we go into this kind of uh, already contested election results before the voting starts. So Kyle, someone, can someone read yeah. those questions? Yeah, I think, well, the, the, the kind of the biggest question that came up from our last tea and also the last commentary is, how much cash should people be keeping at home? Uh, this We responded with what many consider to be an inflated number. So I think Rob and I both find comfort in holding more cash than the average person. And so we had a cash recommendation range of five to $10,000 uh, to have in physical cash at your home or readily available, whether it be a safe deposit box or uh, a safe in your home, but uh, many people sort of question that, saying, "I don't feel comfortable holding five to ten thousand dollars in cash at home." And so we kind of came back to saying, "It's." And the question related to why hold physical cash because you don't keep up with inflation, 
uh, was part of the question, saying all you're doing is you have a asset that's losing value that you have stuffed in your sock drawer. Right. So that's true. Those criticisms are absolutely correct. Uh, that doesn't change uh, uh, my feeling about wanting to have cash. It, it's a little bit irrational. Uh, I happen to like a bargain. And as, as, as uh, our friend Gary said when he pulled out a $100 bill a couple of years ago when he was, like, hiring someone to move a piece of steel, said, you know, you can get things done with cash sometimes and and we we uh, uh, I, I have 10,000 of cash but I've never used it I, I really haven't ever like tried to go out and pay cash other than contractors in Santa Fe who, who want cash um, uh, uh, so I think it's it, it's not a question of like that that credit cards won't work I mean it's, it really is an emergency measure that if, you know, if your credit card doesn't work uh, and you need to do something, you're unlikely to need $10,000, really. Um, but it is, it is just a, it's a backup. Anyone who's been here to the office, you know, knows that we have, you know, wood piles in the back and we have a wood stove in the main room, which is, of course, never used because it puts out dirt and dirt and computers are not like, that compatible uh, yet, and but but I'm glad we have our wood piles and wood stoves. It's and that and it's that, a big matter of comfort. It's right. where if if you were going if electricity went out and you needed to buy things and you spent your first six hundred and you had a thousand, would you still feel comfortable with your four hundred remaining if? something extended to a week or two weeks. And so it's just making sure you're at a level where you're you're able to kind of maintain your well-being for an extended period of time. And, and you may have food stores, and everyone's a little bit different in terms of what they may need in, in the event of kind of a, a crisis or, say, a power shutdown. Right. Let's, let's, let's talk about gold for a second because cash, even if it makes no rational sense, is easier to handle than gold. Um, now, gold has an investment value and has gone up tremendously this year. And, and, uh, uh, and we're not buyers of gold at these prices. We're not necessarily sellers either. And that was one of the questions is, do you own gold as a trading vehicle? or as a store of value, as a form of diversification that really is quite different than than other stores of value. And that really is the answer, whether it's physical gold, uh, which, which has its own problems, or gold stocks or ETFs. Um, it's just a form of diversification. I think having gold coins at home is just, uh, it's 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 very far fetched that you would ever use a gold coin to do anything with, um, but that doesn't mean that it won't happen. That's all. It's just again, it's a it's a contingency plan for a very small percentage likelihood of of an event happening, and and uh, and gold coins, you know, while they while the transactions 
cost is fairly high for buying and selling gold coins. Um, there, there is value to it uh, in that the systems that we have, which which we don't think about for electronic trading of gold um, or electronic trading of anything, you know, is have have never really been sorely tested. They just haven't been stress tested. Um, and uh, because we don't think about it, um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't have some contingency plan. If if you're oriented in that way, which I am, I'm oriented because of my ethnic background to worry about everything. I can't help it. I just do. I just want a backup plan, and then a, a and then maybe a backup plan to the backup plan for that very small contingency. And what can I say? I I just I I. I I just accept that. At this age, my wife said, you better learn to accept yourself, Rob, is what she told me the other night. And I thought about that, and that sounded right. But, you know, easier said than done. Anyway, I accept my need to have as many types of diversification as possible, and gold coins and cash are among them. And uh, I, I, I take it, it they may be unproductive, though gold has more than made up for the cash in terms of its appreciation. Uh and I think most people have, have participated in that. So, um, Kyle, does that you can cover that topic? I believe so. Okay. Yes. Um, why don't we move to ultra-low interest rates and what it means for investing? Um, as, as we started to talk about um, the sense of, of – uh, I think if you're a borrower and you get to set the interest rates at which you borrow, you're in pretty good shape, which is sort of the bottom line about the government setting interest yeah. rates at zero. Uh, a good number. So the average debt rate of the U.S. is at 1.79% now, which is down from 2.4%. And essentially what that means is that making the exact same interest rate payments, they can borrow 30% more and not change their kind of cash outflows on the interest payments. Which is what's happened, right? The, the, when we were talking about the annual deficit, it's up about 25%. So so by by lowering interest rates, as Kyle said, the, the government's outflow remains the same. Um, the, the impact, as I've described many times, is that it's it's taken people who are very conservative and obliterated any investment return on savings accounts or CDs. That's that's the first impact. And so, it's by by corollary, it's forced people to move money from safe investments to higher risk investments like stocks or real estate. If 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 someone wants a return, a, a lot of people say they just don't want they don't want to take any risk, and so they're willing to put up with uh, a very low return. But by and large, it's forced money into financial assets and real estate assets, and we are without a doubt in a in a uh, you can't uh, without a doubt is a poor term for an investment advisor to use. It's likely that we are in an asset value bubble that that paying x amount 
and Kyle knows the numbers for what people are paying up for new tech companies or biotech companies. And there's always that element of speculation, but um, the, the stock investors and real estate investors have benefited and everyone else uh, has suffered other than occasionally Bitcoin and gold um, and other specialty investments. So it's, it's increased the risk to the general population having zero interest rates. Um, and inflation, as, as, as you probably know, ha has not been a concern for many years. Now it's officially not that much of a concern. The Fed is willing to let inflation go up above 2% for a period of time before they feel like they need to do anything about it. And so I don't, I, 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 I can't really say, you know, it, we, we, the price of energy has gone down so much and that's helped the overall price of inflation. The price of food has gone up considerably in this. And I, there was an article about the price of tea. I don't know if there are any tea drinkers in, in the crowd. Tea is Chamom the, chamomile tea was mentioned in the article. Is up. Uh, the price of tea, tea is the most widely drunk beverage after water on the planet. Um, and the price is going up. Uh, I don't think we, we really know how the price of food looks going forward. It, it could be a, a serious matter as, uh, we don't know the impact of COVID and, and the shutdowns of various parts of the food chain and distribution supply. Um, Karen, here in our office, circulated an article about international trade depending on insurance uh, for commodities and that that market that people were no longer, many people were no longer in the insurance business to, to, uh, uh, that would, and that presents a problem for, uh, 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 international trade and food and food things. So I don't think we, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about it, but it's just something to, to think about on the horizon that, that food prices could continue to go up. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't shop much when my, both my uh, daughters were here for four months in Santa Fe and they wouldn't let me go shopping. It's okay with me. I, I'm not a great shopper anyway, but. Uh, what I hear is that um, that you know there are things that are just not on the shelves anymore that they're not restocking. I know that I went to buy some industrial coatings. Uh, I don't think Josh is on the phone, unfortunately, from from Sherwin Williams, and and they they just they just don't really they don't have any paint of of industrial quality at the local store, and. Maybe they just didn't like giving me the discount that I got, uh, and they just didn't call me back because they didn't want to sell me any more paint. But if they're out of paint, then, you know, then, then we have, and that's just a kind of a, a, a small example of if, if people operate, uh, and, and, uh, factory people don't go because the schools, you know, it's all related, right? If the schools aren't in session, then a certain number of people can't go to work, and if people can't go to work, then certain things don't get made. And if they don't get made, then there aren't goods in the stores. And if there aren't goods in the stores, we haven't really seen inflation as a result of that 
particular chain of events, but we could. We could. It's because we're not used to bargaining for our prices if there's a limited supply because we deal mostly with corporate sellers and they don't, they have no flexibility on the pricing that the, the retail outlets, but that's not necessarily always going to be the case. So, um, so the, so zero interest rates have made stocks go up, made real estate go up because the cost of financing real estate projects is, is low. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's taken the return away from the whole, the, and the bond market is larger than the stock market. So there, there are more people invested in bonds than stocks. And even though on paper their returns have been good because, because prices have gone up, most people don't sell their bonds, including us. And so all we're faced with are lower cash receipts. And so what do we do about that? How do we replace income streams when interest rates are expected to be very low for, you know, two years or three years? And uh, so that, that brings us to the question about dividend stocks, right, Kyle? Correct. You want to say something about that and how it might address the issue? Yep. Yeah, so uh... – what often happens or what we've seen in the past when we see super low interest rates, I think the last time was 2015 to 2014, we saw a big resurgence in, in dividend-paying stocks. So we, we kind of saw a run-up in the price of dividend-paying stocks. And these are, these are kind of your what was traditionally considered your blue-chip stocks, so your, your Exxon. Exxon's on the front of our minds right now, so I'll, I'll mention it's an Exxon or a GE or a Pfizer, old companies that are well-established that pay pay good dividends. Uh, I think we've see, sort of seen the opposite occur this time, is people are substituting growth for dividends uh, this time around. And so we've seen interest rates come down, and people people would rather have stocks that are poised for better growth than then dividend payers, uh, a big reason would be uh, traditional sectors, companies like Exxon have really struggled. We see energy down 50% this year. A company like GE, kind of people are really worried about their their kind of bottom line and their financial performance. And so uh, the stability of these companies creates worries. And so people people aren't investing in dividend stocks like they used to. Now, uh, we've we've good example. Uh, for a select few, we've added some Exxon. Uh, there's certainly opportunities there where you can buy companies that may be undervalued that pay a good dividend, but but it's no longer we're investing in them for their stability and dividend. It's really looking to capture something that's undervalued that we get both a dividend and potential for growth as well. Good. Thank you, Kyle. Um... Yes, it's, uh, we, we, we have a contrarian bent really, uh, uh, or have had one. And, uh, when an industry is out of favor is when we, we like to look at it. it. It's interesting that the pharmaceutical industry, which has attracted a lot of money for many years, for the last five years, was very much under, uh, uh had very little attention on it, very little in investor interest and the, 
the dividends were quite high in them. It's uh, it's an interesting divergence between U.S.-based companies. We had a discussion about this in the office. U.S.-based energy companies versus Europe European companies, whereas the European companies are focused on on electricity generation. The U.S. companies are focused on uh, hydrocarbon uh, 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 harvesting and, and processing. And, uh, and, you know, an interesting, we, you know, we're, we're, we're all in favor of, uh, clean emissions and, and green initiatives and things like that. Um, the, uh, um, and yet, and we wouldn't buy Exxon for a lot of our clients because they wouldn't like it. But for some clients who, who have no, you know, issue with it, we felt like it was a good value. And so we're, we're always on the, on the lookout for things like that. Um, let's talk a little bit. Any questions before I move on to the, um, sort of country as, as a whole and, and the, the sort of dangers I guess there's always opportunities and dangers in the political process and how things seem to be unfolding with the election. Uh, um, and I read two things. Is there is there a debate tonight or was the debate is next week? Next week. Okay. Good. Well, I, I have to admit that I have never watched uh, either uh, Trump or Biden on television. Not not once. Um, I'm almost afraid to. He likes uh, to wait till the next day and then ask us for feedback about it. True. Yes, I want to see if you guys are engaged and involved. <laughs> um. So now, what's that, Steve? I think you're missing out on the entertainment. I, I, I generally miss out on most fun things. That that's just that's just pretty much sums things up for me. But but that's not likely to change. I I, uh, I haven't been having any alcohol lately. Uh, just uh, for a, a family sort of per, a reason, not not for myself. And and I, I tell people, you know, I I feel I feel kind of better, but I miss it because uh, it. I, it's like less fun, and I'm not, I don't have a lot of fun anyway. So, what, what does that mean? Is you know, it's uh, coming up on three months now. So, and it's not like I drink a lot. I have one, like a, a whisk, one whiskey or a beer. One beer is pretty much my limit. They called me the one can man in college because after one can, I was pretty much two sheets to the wind. Uh, um, but and I guess that's relevant to the electoral process, right? Drinking and the electoral process. Um, it seems pretty clear that 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 the whole sort of mail-in voting versus in-person voting and the different kind of state-by-state state, uh, rules and deadlines and things like that. It's likely to be. I'm not sure it's quite a big as as big a mess as sort of how to deal with COVID. And the, and the variety in the approaches throughout the country. But it, it's in the same realm of things and likely with the same kind, you know, uh, magnitude of impact that, that it's unlikely that we'll know on election day, even though, and Kyle differs 
from me. So it would be good to hear Kyle speak from a different perspective. Um, uh, why don't you tell us now, Kyle, how come you think we will know on election day of who the, who the victor is? There's a, there's a great op-ed that just came out today in the Wall Street Journal about this as well, so I will send that to you. But the, the idea would be that really we have a lot of early voting available in many states. We also, many states have, you know, contrary to kind of what is the, the noise in the system, many states have actually great well-established mail-in ballot programs. And many of those mail-in ballots are received very early. So the, the counting actually starts well ahead of time on all of those ballots. And so there are really large numbers of ballots that are cast early and are submitted prior to Election Day. Now, even on Election Day, majority of those votes get counted. So those who vote in person, which is kind of the the hot topic, is everyone should vote in person, is a view of, of certain states or certain people. But all those votes get tallied immediately, and, and I believe it's likely that we will really understand what a picture of the results are very quickly after the election day. Now, it may not be the next day, but it's, it's likely to happen very quickly, is that there may be disputes that occur with, within different states or with recounts, but it's likely that although there's disputes, we're going to understand who the, the winner is going to be kind of close to election day. Great. Well Great. done. Um, well, let's hope that's the case. Um, uh, the, and, you know, we, we need to be optimistic, um, uh, no matter no matter what really the let's let's talk about what's likely to happen with with financial assets in you know in the event of a Trump victory or in the event of a Biden victory i guess it's going to be one of those two is that right Kyle just i always look to Kyle now for all my my definitive answers unless our libertarian surprises us it's likely to be one of those two sweet and who is the libertarian candidate this time it is a woman, and I cannot remember her name, and so I'm a, a terrible okay. person, but I, I, right. I don't recall. All right. Well, we'll excuse you for a few minutes on that. Um, clearly, if if Biden is the victor, um, taxes will go up uh, on uh, with, on people who have financial assets, and. I'm not, I'm not saying who's going to win or if it's good or bad, but clearly that's part of the program. And I think Steve, you alluded to that, 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 you know, the economy, I think will recover, I think the economy will recover no matter who's elected. Uh, um, uh, who, who gets to keep the money? I mean, clearly the last, the last, you know, 10 years have seen a huge shift of tax benefits towards uh, uh, the wealthy and, and particularly real estate and, uh, uh, and, and, and certain kinds of stock investors. It's, I, ha I, I, this is a tax return time because as, as you mostly know, October 15th, well, September 15th was the deadline for, 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 for companies. And then September 30th is the deadline for trusts and then October 15th for individuals. And 
and most of the accounts I know put everything off to the last minute. I hope I hope Jim is on the phone. Um, and um, and I see tax returns that show people with dividends that they don't pay taxes on. They're called qualified dividends. They're dividends from large U.S. publicly traded companies, right, Kyle? That's what a qualified dividend is. Yes, in part. It's a dividend stock that you've owned for at least six months, and you pay a preferred tax rate on them. That is, the preferred tax rate is that I believe 85% of the dividend is excluded from taxes, um, which is amazing. And when we when we talk about the deficit and the co- contributing factors to it, it's I, I I remember when that came in during one of the Bushes, um, maybe in the 90s, in the early 90s, or maybe it, uh, maybe it was the second Bush. Um, it's just a windfall to people that own corporate stocks. And I walk in the morning with an accountant, uh, accountant lawyer, and he's mostly retired because it was too much aggravation for him. Uh, and he he doesn't do his tax returns anymore. It's too complicated for him. And and uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I I it's it it is so complicated. The tax code is so complicated that um, because of all of these kinds of things, it's it's very much related to like w- the direction that the country's gone, and that will likely change if Biden wins. Um, I, I don't have any, I can't say I don't have any hope for simplification. Uh, you know, if I was the financial czar of the country, I know what I would do to simplify things and, and address the deficit. I, I, I don't know, I, I don't have any hope that that will happen, but corporate taxes, uh, estate taxes and income taxes will go up substantially. And the stock market is not going to like that. The stock market has enjoyed the, the reductions in taxes. And, um, and so it does represent a potential headwind for the stock market. Do you disagree with that, Kyle or Mark? Uh, I, I, can... I do not disagree with that. It's, it's, it's definitely a, a headwind. Uh, and then I think also if we look at the capital gains tax rate, that would be a major headwind as well because you have a, a further incentive to invest in stocks and prop up the stock market as well. Right. Um, I don't know, Gail, do you have any input on what, what you think the impact uh, uh, of the election will be on, on the stock market? Just to. I think it will be a short-term reaction, and that's it. And then good. Go back to business. Great. Well, that would be uh, that would be that would be good. Um, we like it when the stock market goes up. Uh, it is um, it makes our our phones ring less. Um, but not that we don't like talking to people, but uh, only about good things and good news. Uh, the 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 general economy and we as we talked about is is likely going to stay in recession for 
for as long as there are severe restrictions on on travel and and gatherings um, it doesn't mean that some companies won't make won't make out well but the employment numbers and the and the country's economic activity really depend on social activity and uh, um, my, as much as I love seeing you all I, I on on the screen uh, we have way too much food here that no one is eating right now during our normal tea. And, and so, uh, uh, we'll, we'll just have to ship some of that off to you. Uh, but, but seriously, the, um, the, the economy is, 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 uh, is, is hamstrung. It's very interesting to look at other countries at Russia and China in particular who have a very different attitude about uh, public health and uh, China has recovered remarkably um, because they have, you know, pronounced COVID under control and their economy has, has closed the gap with the U.S. Uh, 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 somewhat during this time period. I, I was I was told in no, in no uncertain terms that COVID-19 is not a Chinese bioweapon. It was not an, it was not an act of economic warfare. Though, if you were to choose something to happen, you couldn't probably choose a better vehicle to, that would take a, a sort of freewheeling, uh, I don't want, you know, democratic, uh, Society, an open, a chaotic society like the United States that has a very difficult time coping with, uh, strict social orders, right? It's, it's against the American personality to, like, do what the government says to do. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I, I don't like to be told what to do. Um, uh, and, and the economic impact is very real. That is our strength of individualism has turned into a negative when it comes to having a cohesive reaction and, and treatment of this kind of health issue. Wherever you stand on the spectrum of, of, of looking at it. Um, so the Chinese economy has done well. Russia, of course, says it has a vaccine already, right? Uh, it's, it, some people think it's a joke. Um, I guess if you're Russian and they, I don't, I don't really know what happens there if they can tell you to take the vaccine. Uh, but, uh, I read something, I think it was today uh, that said that they expect only half of Americans to actually take the vaccine. Um, and, uh, so the economic impact is likely going to be longer and more profound in the U.S. than in other countries that have a, a, a you know, that have le a less diverse population, maybe where the wealth gap isn't as great as it is in the U.S., where the public health, you know, facilities are, 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 uh, more prevalent. But, uh, that's that's what we look 
we look ahead to that and say, you know, how do we invest? Where, where do we invest? Um, we, 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 we really, we believe in holding the course on most investments, certainly on, on our stock portfolios. And we have, and we face this challenge that we'll, we talk to people about as, as far as what to do with cash. And, you know, we, we, we become fairly large lenders, private lenders to real estate people. And, and that's luckily, let's say, you know, 80% of our private real estate lending is in, in areas that are doing fantastic. And so, and so they're performing much better than we expected in March. We had a lot of concern. Um, uh, but we do have some investments, you know, in the hospitality industry in lending to, to a few of those and those are not, are not paying. And, uh, uh, there's not a lot of options for those people if, if, if there, if tourists are not allowed to come in and out from other countries. And that's what makes up a large portion of, you know, uh, uh, visitors, patrons of a, of a motel or a hotel in Brooklyn. It's, it's really hard to do anything about it. So we're, we're out there coping with those sort of adverse circumstances. Um, uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll stop here and see, um, questions, comments, uh, topics we haven't covered. Johnny, wake up, please. Uh, or, I know I, thanks for joining us, Johnny. It's, uh, He's a brave soul to leave his camera on. He's a good guy. And, um, any questions or comments? What I can do. Yeah. So what I'll do is I will, uh, unmute everyone and we will try our best to allow the phone callers to get a question in and, uh, here's to hoping for the best. So I'm going to unmute everyone and, Open it up for questions. Uh, we have a question. Good, Rick. Great. And um, I mean, my question is: I wonder how you go about putting um, stock for different portfolios. Okay. Do you decide for each different? No, no, no. I'm just. I, you know what? I was trying to. I'm on like a. a okay. call Um, I don't think we could hear you quite there well we enough. Let's, let's try one more time there. <laughs> try now. Am I supposed to be asking or somebody else talking? Yes, please go ahead. Okay, I want to know more about how you think you pick it to a value. Do you think it's a quote? Or how do you go about selecting? We're we're having a little trouble hearing you because I don't think you're that close to the microphone. But let, what we did hear was how do we pick stocks? Yeah. Is that a summary of of your question? Sort of. Do you want to uh, further refine it in a phrase or two? Um. <laughs> it's a bit too frustrating. I just want to know how you pick your stocks. Whether you pick them from value or growth? Do you um, have like a round table and you suggest things and pick one out? Great. How do you Good go about doing it? 
Okay, good. Kyle, do you want to start off? And then, Gail, you can talk for a little bit, and then I'll round it out. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we we actually we meet every Tuesday afternoon, and so we do do a roundtable where the group goes through uh, various stock ideas. And so these can be thematic, uh, being in different sectors or different ideas. And this ranges from stocks to both uh, funds or kind of the whole range, and everyone has a chance to provide input. And so uh, with the group, we evaluate all of the, the kind of ideas that come through. Now, our ideas are coming from various sources. Uh, we do have a bias toward uh, kind of what we deem as value stocks, so we don't we don't invest quite as much in what what we think are basically high price stocks. And there's a range of metrics that we kind of use to make that determination. Um, but the stock ideas come from a range of sources. Uh, Anthony, who you can see here on screen. He he likes to watch his wife's shopping habits, and that's where he gets his ideas now. Some of the others in the group, we have various uh, research companies that we work with that send ideas that we we take their research and we reevaluate it and kind of suggest those that we like to the group. Um, there's a there's a variety of ways that we're picking stocks, and and I mean we look at I mean quite a few every single week, and it's. It's easy. We present a lot to buy, but also we present ideas of, of things to sell as well. Another aspect is the technical aspect. So when we identify a company that we like, we try and identify the proper entry point and exit point. Uh, so there's a sense of discipline that whatever is going on in the market in any particular time that we we look at historical price charts, and then earnings reports and things like that. Gail, do you want to talk a little bit about sectors? Absolutely. Thanks for your question, Anne. Can you um, turn on your audio? After being we're, we're having a hard time hearing you, Gail. We're not sure which your microphone is working. How about now? Does that work? Are we echoing? If we're all very quiet. Here comes Kyle. There we go. You know how the casino has a, a cooler? Kyle's our fixer. <laughs> um, so we have both grand value, but for not, as Kyle was saying, it's we we tend I I tend to look for bad news about things and then look at stocks that have suffered from bad news. Like the oil industry, for for one, which is where Exxon came from. So yeah. I'm not putting I'm not putting down the brokerage industry. Say after 19 years there, stock picking, technical, whether it's value and growth, dividends, far more comprehensive than anyone's ever seen before, and it's thrilling and exciting and. We um, often have to put a stock in our own portfolio if it's one that we're for our clients to see how it does, vaccinating ourselves with it. Um, value growth, we do both, but like Kyle said, we more hang around the value picks. We're trying to get you your money. Um, you know, I personally have concerns with seven stocks that are growth or driving our market, so it won't always be that way. 
We don't know when it will switch, but we're preparing our clients for that. Um, yeah, so we have technical experts here. We have all of the high tower resources and the Schwab resources and the private money managers that we use. So we have a huge plethora of ways that we pick our stock. And it's, it's really fun and exciting. Great. Um, next question. I have a question. There's, there's a race towards getting the vaccine. A lot of people are in the process of producing. And so who, who do you think the person that gets to the marketplace first might have a huge advantage? Do you think Pfizer's in the running? Uh, there was a couple of weeks ago with the, the New York Times had the full page ad from the different, different vaccine manufacturers, and they're all in this together. They're not trying to compete against each other to some extent. They're doing this for the whole companies and countries' uh, benefits. So, yeah, Pfizer's on that list. You know, this week Johnson & Johnson was all in the news. A few weeks ago it was Modern A, Moderna. So that's a tie-in-cheek joke because one of our clients, a family member of mine wanted to buy Modern A, and I didn't know what that was, Moderna. <laughs> Um, so, yes, Rick, good question, but I think they're all in it together to some degree. And will one benefit more than another? That's anybody's guess. Of course, each one of them is all about profit. Right, and, the, the you know, the government has, has these contracts out for producing a lot of it once it's shown and uh, we can't really speak to the efficacy of the trial process and um, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I, if I had, I, I can't really summarize, uh, Robert, uh, your comments about, about that vaccine eff efficacy and dissemination rates. I think that all kind of tied into the 18 month estimate about how long it will take whatever anyone reports in the short term and whatever that does to a particular company's stock price, I, I think everyone is motivated. And that's that's the benefit of the system that we have, that there is a lot of private money going into research. It's not like the like the atomic bomb in World War II where it was you know totally government funded and in, in secret. And so it's 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 much more likely to happen quickly more quickly, not necessarily as quick as anybody pronounces in the news. Um, uh, but I, I think the, the, you know, even if there isn't a safe and effective one, it's, it's likely going to be a year before it has its impact enough on the, on the real economy to get people sort of over the fear factor, which is, I think, the issue. For uh, as consumer spending is 75% of the economy, that's that's what's been hit hardest, and and that's what it will take. I'd say too, just on the on the vaccine side, our goal would be not to speculate as to who the who the winner will be that produces mm -hmm. the vaccine. We don't we don't want to speculate too much, but I I think that. Um, 
really the goal is to invest in good companies that, that could be beneficiaries of a vaccine, right? And so whether it be Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer or, say, uh, you know, another healthcare company. We're really just looking for good companies, and if they happen to benefit from the vaccine, we're all the better. Can I ask a question about the vaccine, please? Yes. Uh, if you're, uh, we're talking about a company, more than likely, that's going to come up with whatever the vaccine is that we hope is going to work and do what we want it to do. Once that happens, and once the efficacy is proved, and we know that it does work, and production starts to ramp up, and they start to ramp up a supply chain to get it to the individuals. Isn't it true that all these companies are going to start to float up? Because they're certainly not one company is going to have enough production to be able to produce the number of doses that it's going to take to vaccinate not just the United States, but the whole world. So isn't, isn't it, is it correct to assume that all these pharmaceutical companies that can produce, bottle, ship, and get these drugs into the hands of the individuals, isn't that all going to the sector going to go up because of it? I, I think we've already seen some of that in the in the general price level of of pharmaceuticals. So I think that's that's baked in. I think that's accurate, but it's already in. That's not something going forward. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of logistical issues with the public health system in the country too about how to how to get the vaccine to you know the people that are most in need, the elderly and the and the people that you know can't can't afford it or don't necessarily go to doctors or very very often. So it's a huge uh, public health challenge. Um, but I think you know I think it will happen and. The market, I think, anticipates that too. I think that's that's if if that doesn't happen, it's you know the market may go down. But I think the market's assuming that that will happen. Huh. Okay. About comment about vaccines. Um, you may know there are eighty to one hundred and twenty different vaccine development efforts around the globe. And it may be very difficult to know um, or to predict that it's going to be the top eight or ten companies. Some of these vaccine efforts are taking place in universities in conjunction with other kinds of companies. There are at least three different major categories of uh, vaccination approaches that are out there. Traditional genetic engineering and um, uh, monoclonal antibodies. And... Um, Many people feel, many experts feel that there will probably be more than one uh, vaccine option available as time goes on because companies won't give up on what they're doing if they think they have a better product than one that's already out there. So it's, um, it's a huge international cooperative effort that's taking place. And, uh, it's really difficult to know uh, how that, how any of this Great, thank you, Robert. Um, so we might have time for one more one more question before we sign off. Any any burning issues uh, that anyone has? I will try another unmute all. So we will 
we will do another unmute all and then a quick reversal again. So I'm opening the lines again. Are there any callers with questions? Mm -hmm. I thought that more could be researched about the marketplace, depending on which party wins the election, about whether we will see declines or increases. Yeah. Uh, the conventional wisdom or wisdom, the conventional view is that um, What's that? Oh, uh, uh, the conventional view is that um, it's not going to be that there will be a short-term reaction, as Gail was saying, like around the election time. Any change in tax code will likely take at least a year to be implemented at minimum. So it's not like there's going to be one movement in or out of the market. Uh, after that initial, and if it's a smooth election and there is a winner no known and that happens, you know, according to sort of normal rules, that would be a positive uh, for the market. But um, the there are, there's tremendous room for reform or change in the tax code that the the, the sort of flattening of the wealth gap is a primary goal, I think, of of the Democrats, and um, and of course, if Trump wins, that's that's not a goal, and it will be seen as vindication of his past policies, and so we might see more tax cuts, which is hard to believe, but but possible. Um, at least that's that's what's been talked about. Uh, um, so. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, that's 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 logic that I'm t t talking to you about, and the market rarely follows. Certainly, my logic, uh, but but any any logical ca causality. But the uh, I think the real impact on the economy is what is what we're looking at, uh, and that has a lot more to do with when people feel like they are safe and and that they can go back to work uh in person and um and i don't i don't i some people see that as a political issue i i don't um uh uh and i you know as time goes on we'll have other other countries to look at other countries policies to measure how how they did you know israel is having a resurgence um uh, um, there, there, there are a lot of different methods of dealing with that, and Germany seems to have had, you know, some real success in how they've handled the situation. Um, but the thought that we could emulate Germany, I think, is pretty far-fetched. In that, Germans tend to do what they're told to do, for better, for better or worse, and. They they are very efficient. They're told to do something. They go and do it. Um, and uh, so I'm not sure that model is is going to work. But um, you know, it's uh, it's very hard to say in, in the short term about uh, about mm -hmm. the stocks. But you know, Kyle Kyle is a big believer that 
that we hold course and that stocks really are not overvalued, even if some of them are, like the big seven ones that Gail referred to, that there are a lot of stocks that have not gone up that much. Uh, we're not buyers of Apple and Facebook and, you know, the, the stocks that are driving the tech market up so much. Uh, we just we just don't want to get caught in the inevitable. You saw you saw a week long correction in tech stocks, right? A couple of weeks ago, and now you don't hear anything about it, right? Now that they've recovered for the most part. So, listening to the news is probably one of the worst ways of getting your your stock market intelligence. So. On that note, thank you all very much for joining and participating, and um, uh, please give us some feedback, and uh, and uh, and hope everyone uh, stays well and keep in touch. We're happy to have phone conversations with anyone to discuss any questions that weren't answered as well. <laughs> Great. Take care, everyone. Thank Bye. you all. Thank Bye. you very much. Welcome. Not sure who's controlling this meeting. <laughs>